0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back once again to another episode of the Knowledge Group podcast, offering you a forward look at what you can expect to hear from our Knowledge Group webcast. And on this particular episode, we're going to be joined by our panelists on the February 22nd webcast, kicking things off at 12 p.m. Eastern and lasting for an hour and a half. We'll be talking about conducting internal investigations in the time of COVID-19 and beyond, best practices and key considerations. The panelists for this webcast consists of Michael Harbour, Elizabeth McAvoy, and Beth Weinman. More information about our panelists and the webcast can be found in our description box as well as the website for details about how to sign up and how to tune in, whether that's on demand or live. Don't forget about Podcast 25 when used at checkout, which will get you 25% off that very first paid webcast registration. Once again, Podcast 25 can be found in the description box, along with everything else. And without further ado, we'll turn things over to our panelist Elizabeth McAvoy, who will answer some questions about this upcoming webcast.
1: Hi, my name is Elizabeth McAvoy. I'm a partner at Hinckley Allen in our White Collar Investigations and chair of our Research Integrity and Misconduct Unit. Today on this podcast, I'll be talking about internal investigations and how the conduct of internal investigations and challenges presented have changed significantly in the post-COVID or current COVID era.
0: Thanks so much, Elizabeth, for joining us today, and it's great to have you here. So I do have a couple of questions for you for today's podcast. Um, I'd love to hear your thoughts about these. So to start, um, what has changed about internal investigations as a result of the pandemic, and ongoing effects of COVID-19. And with that, what are some new considerations for investigators tasked with conducting an internal investigation? Well, I think internal
1: investigations have shifted considerably along with the workplaces that we are typically investigating. Um, From a government perspective, internal investigations um, really show an effort to get out there and make your, business um, continue to be in touch with your business and your employees. So I think they've taken on a greater uh, level of importance, uh, in my view, especially from a government enforcement standpoint. Um, But from a practical standpoint, what has changed about internal investigations is that you're no longer looking at the old model, um, where one would just go into a business, an organization for a week two weeks, maybe a month, um, and have back-to-back meetings where you're sitting in rooms with employees, asking them questions. That model has largely fallen by the wayside with concerns for COVID-19, social distancing, and all of the other uh, related issues that come with trying to keep a workplace safe and conduct an investigation safely. So, I think what has changed is that they've become far more flexible. We're looking at models that investigators can tailor to the Organization. There's more of an ability for employees, managers, and investigators themselves to participate without travel across the country and include a national group of individuals within an investigation. And I think that's really important because that shows that these investigations can take on a new dynamic um, and certainly a new scope. We've also, in an internal investigation setting, are faced with a new option, uh, maybe not new technically, but an option that has become much more commonplace, and that's video conferencing. So we're looking at you know, a tremendous amount of interviews being done through Microsoft Teams, uh, Google Hangout occasion, Zoom, another preferential trap platform. And what that means is that there is a new way, and we'll probably be talking about later this podcast, but there's a new way you're interacting with your witnesses, Um, and that has challenges, but it also has the benefits of being able to provide more flexibility into this model. Um, So when we talk about kind of what are the considerations as we we move forward with this more flexible model, a couple of the areas to highlight. Um, I think we're talking about looking at a new universe of documents. Now that we have more people participating remotely uh, in these investigations, it's likely that these same industries have more people who are working remotely on the day-to-day. That might mean more social media, intra-office communication, such as Slack. It may mean more email communication. Uh, It might mean recorded meetings as opposed to live meetings. So that's something for investigators to keep in mind. It also, as we talked about, the investigation model has changed with availability. It also may make witnesses have more or less availability considering what's going on uh, in the current wave of the pandemic. And so, we have to be sensitive to witness interviews that are happening uh, outside of regular business hours, um, being able to stack witness interviews, and also the implications of witnesses um, and their own time limitations and how that may impact how they're communicating with investigators. We also want to bear in mind that um, when you're doing a a regulated investigation, where there's a, a government subpoena or a government probe or maybe we're just considering um, a government regulatory scheme that may require disclosures you want to think about two of the government's own experiences with covid at the beginning in march 2020 we were looking at longer time frames investigations that were being put on hold on the government standpoint and so sometimes internally as well um, that allowed you know for sometimes more time to get your arms around facts but it's certainly also Um, was a shifting target and a moving target. And I know that we continue to try to keep tabs on the government's own pace as their operations um, from a U.S. attorney or DOJ perspective have shifted. Trials are getting delayed. Um, Grand juries are having difficulty finding quorums. So those are just some of the new considerations and I think some of the significant uh, structural changes that have come about uh, with the influx of COVID-19 in the internal investigation space.
0: Thanks so much for that answer. And with that in mind, has the widespread use of Zoom and other remote technology changed how internal investigations are conducted? Like, what are the new challenges with this? Absolutely, Nina. I think
1: Zoom has been a big game changer when it comes to how an investigative team is interacting with some of the witnesses. More and more, and again, as the pandemic wanes on and spikes and surges happen, uh, we find witnesses more comfortable by Zoom. And I think we are resorting to Zoom in a lot of context. Um, And so what that means, and also other platforms, but I say Zoom because I I tend to think it's a catch-all for these um, video conferencing technologies. But what that means is that you're not always in the same room. Um, You may not be in the same room as your co-investigators even though that I find that to be preferential, um, but you may not be possible. And so you may not be in the same room as your team, and you may not be in the same room as your witness. Um, and If your witness is accompanied by an attorney, there's another individual or a, or a, some, a faculty member, or depending on the circumstance, um, a colleague, then you've got four different people in four different locations. And I do think that presents challenges. Um, the first kind of obvious one, but it can't be understated, you lose a lot of rapport with your witnesses on Zoom. You don't have the time when you're all settling in a room uh, where one is getting coffee or water to kind of make a witness feel comfortable um, and oftentimes, you know, share a quick personal anecdote or chat about the weather. Oftentimes with Zoom, like most people know, you're getting right into the questioning. Um, And that can be difficult. Um, It's certainly, you're kind of going in cold without a lot of relationship building. Um, there's certainly some technical challenges where people are you know, constantly struggling with their volume. Um, you can't control what's on somebody else's screen. So sometimes you do need to have some very awkward conversations if it looks like they have notes or if it looks like they are um, perhaps researching something, you wanna get a handle on that um, at the time it's happening. And that's a new challenge because when you're in the room with somebody, you have much more control over the conversation and the scope of resources that might be provided. Um, You also have, I think, you know, a set of benefits to Zoom. Um, We talked a a little bit earlier about witness availability. I find with people's schedules being more and more um, difficult and and crowded, more witnesses are able to be available sooner um, because they're able to be on Zoom. They may be doing a Zoom during their lunch hour, they may be doing a Zoom um, in the evening, perhaps even in the morning, but this allowing people to get to talk to investigators sooner. Um, and sometimes for longer periods of time because there's no travel time. So that's a real benefit. Um, and, and oftentimes I think there is a more of a willingness to meet by Zoom because it's less of a disruption to the day. Um, and so I consider that to be, you know, uh, maybe not a new challenge, but a new uh, silver lining. I've also come across you know, witness candor shifts with Zoom, um, and it largely depends on where you are. So the great thing about Zoom is that you can Zoom from anywhere. Um, the bad thing is that you doing a Zoom meeting in a traditional work setting um, may mean that people are overhearing your conversation where they wouldn't if you were in a private conference room or you were in a secluded part of your business operation. So, So for some witnesses, having Zoom um, allows them, um, can be challenging in the workplace. But if you ask a witness to have a Zoom conversation at home uh, or in a private space and they're able to do it, then you may actually facilitate more openness. Um, They're not in their place of work. They're not seeing their colleagues uh, right after the meeting. They're perhaps, you know, not seeing their boss. And there's a level of separation and sometimes that can help getting um, witness to be more candid, and it can help them feel more comfortable, uh, particularly where uh, they have information that's critical um, and perhaps not uh, always positive about the company. So those are some of the ways that I think Zoom has really impacted um, the, the ongoing internal investigations in both positive and negative ways.
0: That's great to hear, great to hear. Thank you so much. Um, As investigators, how do you take COVID-era changes, challenges facing your client or their particular industry into consideration when you are evaluating the substantive um, issue during an investigation?
1: Yeah, this is a really interesting point, Nina. You know,
0: one thing that has
1: become apparent to myself, and I know many others doing investigations, is that compliance with COVID protocols and um, adhering to some of the, the changes in the workplace, those have become sometimes their own issues, uh, depending on what kind of setting you're in. For example, I do a lot of work in a uh, regulated academic research setting, and there is um, you know a lot of safety considerations outside of COVID. Um, but certainly there are COVID considerations because it is a very in-person um, style of work when you're conducting lab research. And so someone's safety compliance, all of a sudden you now have a new layer of safety compliance, and you're talking about, you know, how do you mask? Are you social distancing? Are you testing? Are you vaccinated? So in some ways, COVID, um, just complying with COVID and what the company and the industry's demands are. For COVID safety protocols can present a new issue, uh, particularly if you're looking in um, at larger, more global issues of a company's culture of compliance or a company's um, culture of non-compliance. So that's, you know, one way that I think it's very becomes very apparent and needs to be kind of tackled um, in its own in its own way. But surely, you know, COVID has been um, affecting industries on a much broader level than just what's happening on the day-to-day work operation. Industries, you know, have been affected differently. I certainly think, um, again, for these in-person industries where you're providing emergency services on site, um, where you might be providing labor, um, the hospital industry, any of the medical fields, where they were constantly struggling, um, but able to provide in-person services. You think about um, other areas where people were shut down, but they needed, they were being funded. Um, So you have interruptions in business um, and new challenges to how the business is operating. And those come into play when you're an outside investigator asked to look at an issue. It may not be the issue that you were hired to investigate, but you have to consider um, how on a number of levels, you know, the the change in the work, interruptions in the work, um, ratios, you know, perhaps jobs have gotten smaller or work assignments have changed to make sure um, that the risks of COVID were kept at bay uh, to the best extent possible. Um, So that's, you know, those are important to keep in mind when you're speaking to people. And they're always important to keep in mind when you're evaluating um, what's going on in a time period. I'd say any time period after March, 2020, you have to kind of also contextualize the business and what the business is doing with what's happening globally um, with COVID, what's happening on the state level with restrictions. Um, And I think that also permutates into the the culture. So you may not be doing a culture investigation or talking about a culture of compliance, but you might be looking at a different way that the business operates um, before March 2020 and after March 2020. And then there are subsequent shifts with uh, the availability of vaccines and those rollouts. So you have to really keep in mind um, for each organization in each environment what has changed. Um, another important point uh, I think that can't be lost in the shuffle is how employees' relationships with their companies have changed. Oftentimes, their uh, the old model you're thinking of there's kind of loyal company people and then there's one or two maybe more disgruntled folks perhaps a whistleblower um or not or maybe they're all you know company employees that you're just trying to discuss an outside issue but now the dynamics of uh who the employees are that you're speaking with have shifted I mean, the the complexities that people bring into work now um are, are cannot be ignored so you may have people who family members were laid off because of a covid related matter you may have people who have very sick family or childcare care issues um, you may find that people themselves are distanced from their employees and feeling you know ostracized and alone and not connected you might find the opposite that they're overly bonding over covid um, and they're kind of pr- creating cohorts that might be anti-management, but it introduces certainly a new dynamic. Uh, And I think when you're evaluating complaints um, and you're evaluating somebody's credibility, you have to take into account how COVID has impacted their work environment and how they've personally reacted to it. And that can be difficult because sometimes it requires a bit of digging.
0: Thanks so much for that. And to just to add to that, specifically for investigators tasked with evaluating the culture of an institution, has COVID-19 changed how one evaluates a business's culture?
1: I think it has, um, with a few caveats. Some industries have seamlessly moved. Um, consulting yeah, is one that comes to mind, have seamlessly moved into kind of a remote Setting uh, where people are divided and communicating through alternative platforms, but by and large, I think there has been a shift in how each business has handled it. And with a shift in the business operation, always comes a shift in the culture, you know. And I think what I have seen um, is that that creates two different eras, sometimes more than two, of a culture of a business. And so when you're looking at problems and you're trying to figure out potential issues of compliance and whether, you know, certain practices were pervasive. You may often be looking at what is the business like leading up to February or March 2020, and what is it like after? Um, How have things changed? It might be that there was a weekly meeting where sales force was instructed to do one thing, and it happened every Monday, and then that meeting was canceled or moved to a Zoom platform, and those same instructions and potentially non-compliant practices were no longer emphasized. Um, So it really, I do think it has changed and I think we all need to take a pause when we're asked to do an investigation that spans a particular timeframe that includes, you know, a COVID shift in the COVID uh, climate, whether it again be a rise in the pandemic, a vaccine rollout, a spike or a surge. You have to look at how that has affected the business um, and how that has affected how they interact with one another. I certainly think on a much more granular level, the culture is often now reduced to social media, email and other documents in the written word. And that can be great as an investigator because you have access to more of the chit chat that may have just been hallway conversations. Um, you may have you know, much longer complaints that were done during a Zoom meeting than you would have ever known because they would have been a side conversation in a live meeting. Um, so the increased use of, of written documents in social media um, has, I think, shifted the culture, maybe um, in the negative direction from a from a, you know unity standpoint, but it also presents an opportunity for investigators to get a much better look uh, at that culture. And I think one area that people need to continue to focus on, and it has certainly been a focus for some time, but is on the social media and the text messages, because more and more I think you have colleagues who if they were working in offices next to each other, would just talk to one another, but they may be texting after a meeting instead. So I think it it kind of creates culture, um, a written culture that didn't exist before. um, And that may shift kind of what's being said, but it certainly provides an opportunity to capture more of what's being said. Um, And, you know, I think it also when you're looking at a business's culture, you have to take all of it into consideration with what is the culture outside of the business and this is where we go back to contextualizing every testimony you take every meeting or event that occurs it has to be kind of put in that same context of what's going on elsewhere what are the challenges that the organization is facing what is the regulatory scheme what are they facing Um, again in the hospital medical field this is incredibly important. Um, I can't tell you how many times in an internal investigation you'll hear from leadership we were facing COVID. So, no, these c- compliance practices fell off, and that's important. Um, so, you know, the culture shifts, and I think as investigators, we have to be attuned to how it shifts and try to capture that um, in any investigation.
0: Great points, great points. Really, thank you so much. And for my last question that I have here, what are some practical tips that you recommend for carrying a thorough investigation in the wake of these challenges?
1: Well, I think there's, you know, a lot of challenges um, for investigators, and I'll talk about a few of them. Um, And they, you know, they probably shift as the investigations themselves shift. But a couple of the things investigators really should keep in mind, um, number one, both control and collection of documents. So I think it's critical to be very deliberate and very planned when you're talking about what documents you're seeking from a company. Um, you're not always just going to be able to visit the corporate headquarters, or you know, have a, a chance to go in and meet with the IT or keeper of the records. Um, and part of that, you know, is informed by the newer practice uh, perhaps in this in any one organization with more people more employees having gchat or teams conversations or other uh, communications that are not normally prioritized in an internal investigation personal text messages how people are using their cell phones becomes a greater issue Um, And there's a lot of conflicting law, and it's anything but clear in the internal investigation standpoint, um, including what the government's entitled to, but I think internal investigators need to be aware that you may be asking for a lot more uh, decentralized records, employee-controlled records, and you may need to have a handle on what you can and can't get as company counsel. This also presents privilege issues. Um, most internal investigations that I've been a part of are intended to be privileged, providing um, legal advice to the company, and so the company holds that privilege, and we give everyone their fair upjohn warning to let them know that should we need to, we may waive this privilege. Um, and that, you know, it, it, typical structure I think gets turned on its head a bit when you have significantly more communications being done in writing between both the employees and the investigators, the investigators and any employee's counsel that may be brought in, the investigators and the general counsel for the company, perhaps the investigators and decision makers at the company. And what it does is it introduces more communications that we have to think about maintaining their privilege. And certainly, in any lawsuit or government investigation that comes about after, you want to be able to have maximum—you uh, want to have privilege applied to the maximum extent possible. So I think investigators need to be very weary of all of the increased communications um, that might result from just planning things, you know, remotely through email um, and the like, and you know, issuing more documents, perhaps if you're a company because. You want to have things in writing um, in lieu of perhaps a a formal meeting, and I think we need to think as investigators creatively about both providing the written guidance that we need to our clients, documenting these significant events, but also having in-person meetings if possible, phone calls, or live Zoom meetings, so that we reduce the amount of documents that we have to think about and protect as privilege down the road. I think that's a really important consideration um, up front that can't be can't be understated, um, particularly where there's a sensitive topic being investigated or there's a threat of litigation that you think will materialize. Two other kind of brief points on this one, Nina. Um, I think it's also Really important to think through um, if you're in a regulated area and you're doing an internal investigation and there's going to have to be a an outcome presented to the government uh, down the road. I think you want to think about um, how you how you strategize for that, those conversations. You know, a lot of times we talk about investigations. We talk about just doing the investigations, um, but the investigations, you know, often have a second component which is what did we learn and how can we effectively address what we learned? Um, when you're doing an investigation um, from a government enforcing standpoint and the government has raised issues with any of these practices, you wanna think about you know, what you learned, how you learned it, how the internal investigation went, and then you wanna think proactively about how you wanna explain to the government what you learned. Same challenges really apply. Do you wanna be in a Zoom call with investigators to convince them that you did a thorough investigation and there are no compliance issues? Probably not. You may wanna push for an in-person meeting so they can get a better sense of you as counsel, um, your credibility, and um, that's not always possible. But you know there are some real benefits to trying to take that internal investigation and then deliver that message in the most effective way. The other thing to think about, just generally speaking, is how do you, you know, manage relationships with clients and the development of a case. Um, those things, you know, typically run their course and are not predictable. But I think when you're talking about um, a decentralized investigative team, employees different states or different locations, um, perhaps a CEO who's not in the same location as their employees. Um, it presents an added layer of trying to keep an open dialogue with your clients, trying to make sure clients are still communicating with employees, complaints can be addressed effectively. Um, and, you know, that I think the practical tips you want to think about there. Um, you want to think about more regular meetings, maybe setting a weekly call with your clients to try to talk through issues. You may want to talk about creating kind of an internal investigation team, whether somebody from, you know, kind of the, the data security side, someone from the employee side, as well as a CEO or whoever you would normally speak with, because that way you get a little bit better handle on what's happening throughout. Um, I certainly think that, you know, the more communication, the better, and the more live communication when you're an investigator, the better, because you have less of that written record that you have to think about um, while you're going through these challenges. So, you know, as a practical tip, you also want to just say my final tip is that you need to be organized. So when you're going through any of this, whether it be privilege, collection of documents, requesting personal uh, devices and information from those devices, or managing the government, you want to be very clear in your strategy and your approach you want to make sure that on your end, as an investigative team, you've got a central repository of data, just like you had your own war room back at the office. You want to be clear about who's working on the case, make sure that the same people are involved, and you want to just make sure that as you go through this, there is, all of your information is organized, and just because you're not all together physically as a team, that any witness interview, any document is falling through the cracks. And that can be very difficult Um, to do even when everyone's in person. But I certainly think when we're decentralized and working at our own workstations, the management of key documents and key information is very, very critical. So it's
0: something to keep on top of early and often. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for your knowledgeable points. I'm sure our listeners have learned very many valuable tips and information regarding this topic. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Knowledge Group podcast. Don't forget, more information about this webcast can be found in our description box below, along with a link to take you to the full agenda for the program on February 22nd. We hope you can join us at 12 p.m. Eastern or register to get a copy of the recording if your calendar is full. However you choose to listen, we hope to see you there. And until the next time, this has been an episode of the Knowledge Group podcast. Take care and bye for now.